Well, again, trying to draw our attention to the Advent theme and why the lectionary places the readings before us that it does. We notice in our first reading from Isaiah, we have a prophecy about this kind of messianic event. And uh, part and parcel of this event will be the healing of the blind, which is what we saw with the healing of the blind man. I think it was last, um, yeah, I think it was last Friday we, we saw that, or maybe it was last Monday. Um, and, but also here was, talks about, um, says the lame will leap like a stag. Okay, so the lame will, will be healed. And then we have Christ coming and he heals the lame man. So that's the connection between the two passages. But I'm going to focus a little bit more on the first reading than on the gospel today. Uh, the, the bigger picture here that we're looking at with the first reading is this whole idea about the desert blooming. Okay, the desert is going to be this place of life. There's going to be water, pools and streams of water, and there's going to be a highway through it, and people are going to be going down the highway, kind of dancing and having a good time, and they're, they're set free by the Lord. God's liberated them. Uh, what's going on here? Well, I think the, a good historical context within which to understand this passage has to do with what's called the Babylonian captivity of the Israelites. So uh, Israel, ancient Israel, was divided into two kingdoms because of the, the folly of, of certain David himself and also certain of David's uh, descendants. And so you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was knocked down by the Assyrians, was kind of knocked out and, and, and taken off the map uh, in the 8th century B.C. And this, so the southern kingdom, Judea, and that's where we get the word Jew from and, and you know Judaism and everything. So Judea was kind of like the the core of the, of the uh, Israelites. And that survived on for another 200 years into the 6th century. And then it was in the 6th century B.C. that the Babylonians came and, and uh, conquered it. And the, all the kingly lineage came to an end at that time. So there's no longer was the Davidic uh, king sitting on the throne. So the Israelites began to long for a Davidic king. So their messianic expectations kind of were, were intensified and heightened. But uh, many of the, of the um, you know, kind of like the best of the people, meaning the educated people, the upper class, the aristocracy, were took, uh, taken away into captivity to Babylon. And what happens, I think, naturally in any of these sorts of uh, dislocations of people is they are forcibly taken out of their homeland and they're put in a new land and they build houses and their kids marry and a few generations go by and they kind of, and they learn the language and the culture and they kind of settle in and they don't really care about going back to that, that original place where their people came from. It's just like a distant, it's not really important to them anymore. They're satisfied here, they're comfortable, everything's good to go. Um, but what happens when... Uh, a liberator comes along. Okay, so you have the Persian Empire with, um, uh, let's see here, what was this? Uh, Cyrus, King Cyrus of the Persians, he comes and he takes over the Babylonians. His philosophy of ruling his empire was different than the Babylonians. What he wanted to do was to, he, he was more inclined to give each of the people that he ruled over their own kind of autonomy, their own space their own land, their own... He didn't want to like completely destroy them, whereas the Babylonians uh, actually kind of had a policy of dividing people up and sort of they wanted to almost kind of annihilate their culture just because it, they, thought, they thought that it would have been easier to rule over an empire 
that way. Whereas uh, Cyrus was more along the philosophy of keep everybody happy in their place with their own respective religions and cultures and languages and everything's going to be okay and they'll pay taxes and everything will be fine. So Cyrus says, "You all you Jews who are in Babylon, go ahead, go back home, yeehaw! Okay, and, and a lot of them, I don't know, maybe they weren't super motivated to do it. But you had a good core of the people, like us, right? We're the faithful remnant here today. You had a good core of the people who said, no, we remember Zion. We remember that the promises that God made to us have to do with that land, not Babylon. Okay? And so it doesn't matter how much money it costs. It doesn't matter how much personal expense, how much effort it's going to take. We're going to go across. So that long desert land that separated Babylon from Jerusalem is now, uh, it doesn't look so foreboding to the people who are motivated, to the people who have faith. That desert land looks like something uh, that they want and they're going to they're gonna go across it. And that's what is, is being spoken right here. There's just a redeemed, we're going to enter Zion again and there's going to be a highway through that desert. And, uh, but it takes a vision of faith to see that desert is a really a place of life and not death. A place of promise and hope, not a place of, of um, you know, negativity and darkness. And uh, th- we see this throughout uh, the history of the people of God. Um, interestingly enough, what happened uh, in successive generations after the Israelites made it back to the Holy Land and reestablished their, their people and their culture and they go on for a few hundred years, there was a tyrant that came around, his name is Antiochus Epiphanes, and he waged an all-out warfare against Jerusalem and he wanted to annihilate the Jewish religion. And this is where we get Hanukkah, the, the, where the Jewish people get the Feast of Hanukkah from, and where we hear in our own lectionary the, the book of the Maccabees and some of those really kind of gruesome uh, passages where there's this general who's trying to get these seven sons of this mother to apostatize and the sons are saying, okay, go ahead, cut off my hands, cut out my tongue, throw me on this frying pan and I'll die gladly, and I know that God's going to raise me uh, from the dead uh, in, the, in the resurrection. You know, the whole Maccabees, all of that comes from this whole encounter with Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, at that time, the people were saying, let's flee into the deserts away from the city to, to survive. And the desert becomes a place of refuge for them. Okay, So yet again, another instance in the, in the history of the salvation of the people of God is the desert becomes a place of life. And we see in the final book of Revelation, we see this very powerful image of the church. It's also the Blessed Mother. And it says she's given the two wings of the eagle to fly into the desert where she will be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And it's a prophecy about the end uh, of the world and the coming of the Antichrist. And the church is going to have to basically be in a desert experience if it's going to survive. Uh, we, so we see this theme over and over again, and we have to ask ourselves, you know, it's realized individually, what is it, what desert am I maybe being called to go into that looks foreboding at first, but is really a place that God has chosen for me to find a closer union with Him, uh, an increased maturity, an increased spirituality, an increased holiness, uh, and, and life and hope. And, and liberation. What desert is it in my life uh, that God might be calling me to that I, maybe if I hadn't had eyes of faith to see it, 
would appear to me to be something that would be, I would, would shun it 100%. I wouldn't ever want to go there. Okay? Um, you know, my own life as a priest, there's difficulties in the priest. Everybody's got difficulties in their, in their vocation, you know. And, uh, you know, you kind of want to turn tail or shut up or sit down or just say, forget about it. I don't even care about that. I'm not going to put any effort into this kind of thing. Looks like it's too, I'm going to have to deal with too many interpersonal issues and problems. And people are going to complain about me. They're going to criticize me. So it kind of looks like this foreboding desert. But really, that's where God is calling me to, to walk into. And I'm going to find life and promise and hope. But I have to have the eyes of faith to see that. Uh, maybe it's a confrontation. You know, for us in general, it's a confrontation with someone that we kind of don't want to do. Maybe it's kind of cutting ourselves off from certain pleasures of the life, you know, watching, engaging all the different media and entertainment a lot less, you know. Oh, it looks boring, you know, just sitting there in my chair doing nothing. That looks boring. That's a desert. No, that's a time for us to open up the ears of our hearts and our and our minds and listen to God and get closer to him in prayer. Um, for many people, we have what's called the occasion of sin. There's a relationship that's not healthy, and you've got to cut it off. And there's a fear of cutting off that relationship because, oh, it's like a desert. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to do it. But, no, that desert, go into it. You know, that's a monastic experience. Go into the desert, and you're going to find life there. You're going to find uh, hope, and you're going to find God's presence. So this is just something for us to meditate on as we... Uh, prepare this Advent season for the coming of Christmas.